Spoot. Noun. A razor shell, or a type of shellfish. This seems somehow appropriate as a curse word for aquatic mammals who, who chew through various uh, detrius, since a razor shell would be something rather unpleasant to bite down on. That spooty bard. <laughs> you can tell we improv these folks. There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The Penny and James can sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello everyone, I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome once again to the Pemmy and James kind of, sort of, hopefully funny cartoon podcast. And this episode is going to cost you $9.99 a month, potentially uh, in- increasing charges based on your contract. We're talking a cable show today. Cable? That still exists? Believe it or not, yeah. And no, we don't mean uh, the X-Men anti-hero. <laughs> He still exists, too? <laughs> yeah, but as of the second Deadpool movie, at least. I like when he hangs out with Deadpool. They make a surprisingly good combo. So, around the early 90s, Nickelodeon decided they were going to start investing in a larger-scale s- effort to create their own original programming outside of just live-action fare, like their game shows and their sitcoms and their attempts at drama. Fifteen. What resulted were, were the colloquially named Nicktoons, the first wave of which were Doug, Rugrats, and the Ren and Stimpy show. Each of these cartoons were in their own unique way a hit. And thus, more and more and more cartoons were commissioned, about half of them from Klasky Supo, the creators of, of the aforementioned Rugrats. I, I hear that Doug was very expensive. <laughs> yes, thank you, Mr. Dink. Uh, apparently, Doug was the critical darling. Rugrats was the biggest overall success, and the Ren and Stimpy w- was like a kind of like a firecracker. Big bang at the start, and then uh, fizzled. I, I have nothing to say about that show. Uh, that, that's about as far as I'm going to take it myself uh, i do like one of the uh, shows that came briefly after that though i, I am quite fond of rocco's modern life oh, well for sure myself but we're jumping about towards the end of the 90s and our subject today is also the final production overseen by lee gunther an animation veteran who worked at warner brothers during the last days of the looney tunes in the 1960s then went to De patty freeling where he would stay when they transitioned to marvel entertainment where he would be an executive producer over G.I. Joe and Transformers. Nice. In 1987, he and Mike Wall formed Gunther Wall Productions and would trade production duties with Ruby Spears back and forth with shows like Alvin and the Chipmunks and the Wild West Cowboys of Moo Mesa. And they'd also co- themselves continue the G.I. Joe animated legacy with mixed results. Mixed result, it could be a description of a lot of G.I. Joe stuff that's come out since the original. To be sure. Lee Gunther would pass on in 1998, one year after he helped produce today's subject, The Angry Beavers. 
A show that James is far more familiar with than I am. Our two brother protagonists, Norbert and Daggett, were created by Mitch Schauer, who worked for numerous companies doing layouts and storyboards, and his first production credit, you'd be very familiar with, Pemmy, The Thirteen Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. Zoinks! Yep. The last series in that franchise is run before the reboot as a pup. (laughs) Thirteen Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, speaking of shows that seems to have mixed opinions. (laughs) To be sure, for every positive they got out of Vincent Price... There's a scene with Flim Flam. Yeah, I, who I f- honestly find far more annoying than Scrappy-Doo. Yeah. Now, Shower also received an Emmy as a producer on Freakazoid. And when that happened, he was asked by his main employers, the aforementioned Gunther Wall, to come up with some ideas for a new cartoon for them. One of these were a pair of beavers with bad temperaments lashing out against various fads of the day. This was altered to simply having them be twin brothers, having just moved out and settling into their new lives in the forests of way out of town, Oregon. Norbert doesn't really feel that angry in this show, or at least from the episodes I saw. Oh, no, he's he's the calmer. He's also the older brother by about four minutes. And boy, does he ever embody being the older brother. He also looks stoned half the time. Kind of. <laughs> And he's also just as frequently condescending to his younger brother, Daggett. Full name, Daggett Doofus Beaver. I I do have to say it is interesting hearing Richard Stephen Horvitz do a voice that's not Zim for once. Not quite Zim, anyway. He he has definitely Zim moments, but for the most part, he still doesn't sound 100% like Zim, which is... The only other role I can think of off the top of my head was he was like a villain in, uh, shoot, what was that game? Skylanders. Um, Skylanders, thank you. Yeah, and he was the voice of Chaos. And he, it's just them. It's just them. <laughs> yeah. He's also the voice of Billy in The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, which is also just them. Yeah. And he's the voice of Raz in Psychonauts, which is calmer Zim. Basically, he has one voice, but he gets a lot of good application out of it. Hey, sometimes it's all you need. I mean, look at, uh, how do I forget his name? Uh, Crunk on uh, Emperor's New Groove or uh, Patrick uh, Patrick Warburton. Patrick Warburton. He's a good example of a guy that's really got one voice, but man, he can get a lot out of that voice, and it's a good voice. And he was also in Skylanders. Yes. He's in a lot of stuff. Let's see. Him being Brock Sampson in uh, Venture Brothers is probably one of the more impressive ones where it's like, it's the same voice, but it feels still feels drastically different. But this is also getting really off topic. <laughs> That's fair. You know who we almost got as the voice of Daggett? Who? Comedian Kevin Meany. Interesting. Yeah. It would have been fun, quite a bit different, and it gives me an excuse to shout, That's not right! <laughs> I, I do know that uh, Richard Stephen Horvitz has also mentioned that doing Invader Zim was quite uh, a workout on his throat, thanks to uh, the creator of that show, who's... Oh God, I'm forgetting everything. Johan Vasquez, re- <laughs> directing him to scream out every freaking line. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. Meanwhile, Norbert's voice actor is Nick which, McKay. He's which I want to say, can I say something about his voice actor? Yeah. I was going through the, when I was going through these episodes, I was like Norbert's voice was like he's vaguely familiar, but I'm 
I know I've heard this voice, but I know I haven't heard it in a lot of places. And it was driving me crazy. And I looked it up and I'm like, freaking, of course, he's Salem from uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yep, he's done a variety of incarnations of Salem, both live action and animated. But for us in the pro wrestling sphere, he's rather notorious for narrating the TV special Exposed, Pro Wrestling's Greatest Secrets. She's a stunt granny. <laughs> yeah, I imagine he has a hard time living that one down in the convention circuit. For the record, it is uh, like uh, Horvitz. It's a really good voice. It, oh, yes, yes. Uh, if there's anything I like about his voice, there's a lot of lines on the two episodes I watched where he, the the line reading sounds so natural that it almost sounds like improv, which I don't know if it was or not, but I really like it when it gives that kind of feel. So You are actually 100% on the money. Mitch Shower gave these two a very long leash, encouraging them to improv dialogue even over each other. Nice. Really adds to the to the feel of this show. It really adds to the sibling feel, too. Because <laughs> uh, as someone who has a brother, <laughs> talking over each other happens a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, this cartoon is interesting as a follow-up to Captain Caveman, because whereas... KV and a lot of the other Hanna-Barbera stuff is early childhood nostalgia. My experience with the Nicktoons and the Cartoon Network early out, original output is college nostalgia. So around the year 2000, my roommate Jason Wolzanski loved this show. He loved the early SpongeBob. He, he loved Hey Arnold. I think those were the big three for, for him on Nickelodeon. SpongeBob, the show that will never die. No, he. But it was even reached the point where he would record Angry Beavers for his own viewing later. Nice. Yeah. There's a question: Which is going to last longer, SpongeBob or The Simpsons? Well, whichever wins, I'll tell you who the real winner is: manufacturers of yellow ink. <laughs> hmm. Both long-running shows with the yellow-colored characters. Yellow's the secret. I guess so. So I happened to be hanging out and watching with him in the year 2000, just out of curiosity. And my first impression of this program is the first episode we're looking at. Sans a Pelt, which was written by John Requa and Glenn Ficara and directed by Robert Hughes with storyboard by Kelly James. So my first impression of Norbert and Daggett are, is them being shaved with their pelts, tied up at the top of a telephone pole via rope and handcuffs as a result of a poorly designed magic trick. Gallstone's Book of Magic. See, that's why you're supposed to get rid of them. Yeah. Now, here I was so concerned about do, not doing jokes in poor taste because, you know, beaver, ha-ha, slang for, uh, for a piece of anatomy, ha-ha-ha. And the first episode I pick is about nudity. <laughs> I almost wonder if the title Angry Beavers was a joke and a perverse joke for the beginning, but maybe. But yeah, like like Pemmy said, the offending manual is Gallstone's Book of Magic, and they're both blaming each other for the predicament they find themselves in. And Daggett admits that when the book said a hair would disappear, I thought it was talking about a rabbit. <laughs> 
quick cut to their homes where a very confused bunny with Dag's pelt on him is every bit as stunned as you'd guess. <laughs> After Dag tries to chew their way off the pole only to discover it's made of metal, they easily slip their arms over the one side and slide down and effectively free. That was easy. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm more surprised why he didn't, like, try to, like, bite the frickin' ropes. Fair. But, you know how they say when every, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail? When all you have are teeth that cut through logs? Everything looks like a log, and well, what looks more like a log, the pole or the rope? That's a fair point. I'll write that in my log. <laughs> <laughs> So now the brothers are wandering down the robe, Norb preserving his modesty with a soda can, and Dag doing the old burlap sack bit with a used bag of pork rinds. Which he finds very embarrassing. Oh, oh, yes. Yes, he's super self-conscious about this whole thing, and and Norb is just trying to go with it as best he can. And then a truck honks on by, breezing the bag off of Daggett and giving him muscular soot. (laughs) <laughs> up until Norbert, you know, taps on it. Yeah. And then another passing truck switches the soot and the soda can between them, and they decide getting off the road is the best option. Meanwhile, cut to a gag of Daggett jumping from log to tree to rock, a la typical character naked jokes. Mm-hmm. While Norbert just appears behind the rock. Yeah, and Dag is... Uh, his modesty is preserved via conveniently flying leaves in the wind and random bugs. Also, pretty good gag about, like, there's no place for me to hide my behind. I mean, there's no place for me to hide behind. <laughs> Eventually, they find some grass to make into makeshift robes, and they stumble upon a group of sheep being industrially sheared. Oh, and also, at this point, Dag suddenly has a mushroom on his head. I have no idea where it came from. It's never explained. It's it's just part of the random humor of the show. He just wanted to look stylish. Yeah. Now, as they observe the sheep being sheared, Norb declares the whole thing to be madness. And as they try to avoid being spotted, they trigger a mudslide. Which, nice little sign gag. Yeah. Danger! Mudslides! Oops, never mind. You have a nice one. <laughs> And they, of course, they're brought right to the flock as they shriek their trademark shrieks of falling and are flying. You probably notice they each have a distinct yell. Norbert is a while Daggett goes. I I, I do notice that as tends to be the case with Horvitz, uh, Horvitz, he he does like to throw in random little sounds here and there. Mm Hmm. Once they land, the sheep eat a crop circle pattern through the tall grass to the brothers. And some farmers, observing this whole scene, reason that they're naked weasels. Uh, uh, wrong network for weasels, you two gentlemen. (laughs) Michael Dorn wants his paycheck. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, and seemingly naked weasels are pretty offensive to these uh, farmers. Yeah, we'll, we'll catch up with them later. In the meantime, the sheep, being sheep, Eat the grass robes, too. Yep. And then a lady sheep comes along to ask the brothers of their sheep. She sounds very familiar. Yeah. Do we know who did the voice of that sheep? On a, it sounds like, uh, it sounds like, what's her, 
I can't remember her name. Um, no, she's not listed in the Angry Beavers wiki. The farmers are Greg Berger and Wally Wingert. Her voice reminds me of uh, Greg uh, Griffin, uh, who plays uh, Daphne currently, but I don't know if that's her. Okay. Either way, uh, Dag protests out very, very awkwardly, and Norbert explains oh, their embarrassment. Wait, wait. wait. One of the farmers is Greg Berger? Yeah. As in, meet Grimlock, Greg Berger? Yeah. Awesome. Sorry. He did, he he appears in surprisingly few shows. <laughs> Though I, I know he's also Orson on uh, Garfield and Friends. Yep. That, that is my deal. If I ever meet Greg Berger, I'm like, okay, I want to see, can I get a request? Can I get Orson if played by Grimlock? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so our lady sheep, who we think is Grey Griffin, explains that she knows how they feel, but when it happens to her, oh, spoot! Here comes a music. You're gonna sing. Yeah. And this was the first point I wondered if you were gonna start screaming at me, James. What did you get me into? <laughs> it is uh, quite the song number. I, I wonder if it's given some people complexes. Yeah, it's all about the joys of not having any fur, wool, or pelt. Norbert's loving this. He's playing piano, he's trying to sing along, and Dag, well, he's reacting how I would in this situation. The, the part where Norbert decides to sing along is one of the parts where I just felt really natural, and I thought it was, I was wondering if it was improv, because he was just like, can I join in? Can I join in? When when do we start? When When's the start? The, that whole scene with him was just really good, because it just felt so natural. You may be more sensitive to a cool windshield. But in the free department, you're itching. It's nothing. Nada. Sit down. Hush up. Now, when the whole song and dance is done, including the big Bubsy Berkeley finale, Dag is still grouchy about the singing sheep, but Norbert says they kind of have a point. And as Daggett is trying to use a butterfly as an improvised loincloth... Oh, well, uh, we see someone else who's gotten the uh, seemingly missed with Gallstone's Book of Magic. Yeah, I I think there are a couple of chipmunks. This is leading up to a rule of three gag, we promise. Also, that poor butterfly. Yeah, no wonder that butterfly tried to fly off. But it flew off with Daggett still attached to it! I have only two things to say. One, that's a really strong butterfly. And two, that butterfly is probably traumatized. Yeah. Yeah, that butterfly should should seek counseling alongside Brenda from Captain Caveman. <laughs> but Norb tries to grab onto Daggett, and they both fall off another cliff, and they land at a lakeside amphitheater where Juby the Organized Seal is performing tricks. Seemingly a as well as a bunch of bikini-clad uh, skiers. Mm-hmm. Norb wants to watch, and Dag is angrily insisting they just go home, but before the debate can continue, the water skiers fly by, catch the beavers, and the farmers from earlier resolve to move to Canada because they can't escape naked weasels. They really don't like naked weasels. Yeah, well... And meanwhile, uh, Daggett and Norbert uh, traumatize a bald eagle now. Yeah, this eagle flies in, catches the brothers, misdirects the stunt skiers right into Juby's intricate playing card structure, 
and send the brothers conveniently into the next gag. Poor Sil. He was putting a lot of effort into that. Yeah. I do I do like that his response is really just a kind of more not upset, but more just kind of like the the grab your like brow and kind of just uh, response. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I, I like the bald eagle appearing when they say freedom. Nice, nice touch. <laughs> yeah, I missed that. But our next gag is putting them right in the middle of a city's freshly put up Christmas tree, snow and all, where a kid points out the bucktooth pink ornaments to his dad. And the two of them debate about how early the Christmas decorations have gone up this year. Seemingly July. Well, wait, no, it said 190 days till Christmas, so that would actually be September? 190? Hmm. Well, we're cartoon podcasters, not mathematicians. <laughs> so they pinball down the tree and race off using a string of light bulbs for their modesty this time, and then a big pretzel sign when the last string won't go any further. I, I gotta admit, oh well, We'll we'll get to the part that actually got a good laugh out of me. Uh, after we they're running with the uh, pretzel and we see gag number three. Yep. Uh, this time the farmers. <laughs> yeah, they also tried the the magic trick from Gallstone's book. That's your rule of three, folks: expectation, repetition, subversion. To which Norbert's like, they really need to ban that book. Mm -hmm. However, uh, their pretzel gets the attention of a oddly colored pigeon who steals said pretzel and then immediately (laughs) slams into a wall. (laughs) (laughs) Which got way more laugh out of me than it probably should have. And now the duo dash to hide someplace else uh, via a backstage entrance. And the curtain rises and they're being applauded. This finally gives Dagbit the Daggett, sorry, Dagbit, Daggett the comp. I keep wanting to call him Dagwood too, but anyways, gives Daggett the confidence to uh, sing in front of the crowd as, while naked and sing rather poorly. Yeah, and it turns out his performance is being broadcast on a Times Square-esque jumbotron too. I mean, you know, <laughs> gonna go out. Go all the way out, I guess. So as they walk off into the light of day, much calmer about their whole situation, it turns out they were addressing a nude cab driver's convention. Which includes all of the sheep we saw earlier. Yeah. And we reach the end with a shot of the Master Ceremonies. End. I forgot about that part. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that. Um, See? And people say butts are not safe for work. (laughs) So again, that was my first impression of the show, and now presumably it was your first impression. Yes. And uh, all I have to say is after reading some of the information about this show and some of the censorship problems they had, Nickelodeon was okay with that ending, but didn't like them saying the word shut up. Yeah, we will get to that. But first, after these messages, we're going back to the wrestling ring in another country. They're angry. They're beavers. They'll be back soon. 
on the next Pemmy and James podcast. Quick, what do you think of when you think Rankin Bass? You probably either thought of old holiday specials or mid to late 80s action cartoons. Not 70s Saturday morning fare. But the group that brought you Rudolph and Frosty has an entire legacy of weekend cartoons that have nearly vanished from the pop culture landscape. In two weeks, we explore one such cartoon, The Reluctant Dragon and Mr. Toad Show. Is this series a lost classic or just lost? They're back, and they're still angry. Okay, we're not. I promise we're not turning this into a wrestling podcast, but this is another one of the examples of this show's just out-there sensibilities that I had to throw in. I, I gotta admit, doing what they did in this episode took a lot of cojones. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot imagine any other show saying, Let, let's do our entire episode in another language. Yeah, the episode in question is Norberto e Dacato in El Grappador e El Castormalo. Also written by Glenn Fricara and John Requa, and this time directed by Patty Shinagawa. Now let me give you a little setup for this episode, because El Grappadura didn't come out of nowhere. They have this running gag of them watching schlocky television shows, including bad, bad B-movies. And amongst their other preferences is Mexican professional wrestling, or Lucha Libre. Their hero is the aforementioned El Grappadura, which, to the outside observer, sounds like a generic wrestling name. But if you know Spanish, you would know that translates to The Stapler. Which is a name that I could totally see an 80s-era wrestler have, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So this gag gained enough traction that the team decided to try their hand at parodying the genre of Lucha Libre-inspired movies, where wrestling personalities like El Santo fought demons, aliens, vampires, and other wild B-movie fare. Those of you who are of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 fandom persuasion, just think back to Samson versus the Vampire Women, and you get the idea. It's kind of crazy that that was a whole genre of movies in... Mexico. Yeah. For a long while. To an extent, arguably in Japan as well. But hmm. uh look up Tiger Mask sometime. Yeah, yeah, Tiger Mask actually kind of did the reverse. Didn't that one start as an anime and then become a real wrestler or a series of real wrestlers? Something like that. I'm not sure which happened first, but I, I would not be surprised if that was the case, especially in Japan. Yeah, Tiger Mask has been going on so long, they've managed to parody Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Now, funny thing, in the show's canon, Norbert actually understands Spanish, but Daggett doesn't. But for their voice actors, the opposite is true. So Horvitz had to assist Bacay with his dialogue for this all-Spanish-language episode with English subtitles. Interesting. Also, I was one last thing on Tiger Mask. He is also the inspiration for King in uh, the Tekken series. So. Oh, naturally. Not to be confused with King from the King of Fighters. <laughs> Funny how you can get away with that. And side note, nothing is more frustrating than having to search for art of King from King of Fighters and getting nothing but logos and just generic group shots. 
Yeah, King is not exactly is one of those names that feels like anti-search results. Yeah. So back to our cartoon. We open at a nightclub for luchadors and their dates. And a masked Daggett sneaks in and pushes El Buttono for the sole purpose of flicking a light switch. Which he then somehow captures all of the luchadors that were on the dance floor. Yeah, when the lights return, they're all in absentia to the screams of their dates and the absence of people at phone booths, toilet stalls, and just about everywhere else they look. Yep. Cut to an arena as El Grappadura is dispatching an opponent, and Norbert is his corner man with a wicked pompadour! I'm also going to throw in that this is the second time we've had an impressive kidnapping of a wrestler by someone that looks way overpowered to do so. Mm-hmm. I mean, that happened in our last episode. <laughs> yeah. I, again, I promise this is not going to be a running trend. Unless somehow pro wrestling sneaks into our next show. And it does not. Okay. That'd be a heck of an episode. Norbert gets a signal to get to the scene of a crime, and he and El Grappadura do so in a stretched-out convertible that Tex Avery would be proud of. I do like a lot of the backgrounds in this episode. They give some very much of a Batman the Animated Series vibe with some of the buildings and whatnot. Very Mm -hmm. uh, gothic noir. The music, meanwhile, is all jazz. Specifically a jazzed-up version of La Cucaracha. Of course. I, I Not the scene only... of the crime. Hmm. 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 They find gear for Degetto, and they have no clue who he is. Cue more. Hmm. Hmm. Sounds like a bunch of villagers of Minecraft. I also noticed that uh, the stapler said that he actually tells them to zip it. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that was supposed to be a shut up, but... I don't know. But the search is on, as Norb and El Grappadura ask various luchadors about town and other individuals, even while their car is being towed. Fortunately, they found a helpful shoeshine boy that's got a hat bigger than he is. Yeah, he recognizes the name as being right across the street, with a massive billboard all lit up proclaiming it to be the Dagetto Masco Compania. To which we get uh, Norbert saying it. Badly. (laughs) Yeah. Now Daggett lets them in and says, even though you don't know I'm a supervillain, I would be happy to help you. Well, the bulbous forehead is certainly a clue he's a bad guy. Fake bulbous haircut. But hey, he's got the smiley face like button on his lab coat. I mean, uh, Mm -hmm. or suit. That that, that can't mean villain. Yeah. Now Dag also has to ask them three times to come closer to get them in position to be claw-gripped and dropped into a trap door. Dag removes the fake forehead and cackles. And honestly, I, he looked more villainous with it than without it. I, I gotta ask, though, what was the point of claw gripping them if he could have just dropped them in the first place? Uh, keep, keeps them in spot. You see it later in the episode how how far El Grappadura can leap. <laughs> this is true. To which uh, we didn't get Daggett telling his... Uh, plan to them a la it, evil villain yep he's monologuing I also like how they put El Beepo for the 
slideshow beeps. Mm-hmm. For all you people out there who don't know what a slideshow is now. Yeah, imagine a PowerPoint presentation. Pretty much, except it beeps every time for you to switch your slide instead of, you know, automatically doing it. So Dag's evil plan is basically the plot of the cartoon leading up to all the wrestling prowess being drained from the luchadors into a picture of Dag being held up by three sailors. Uh, wrong picture. We learned something about Daggett we didn't need to know. <laughs> The actual plan is he's making a super luchador to rule the Tri-County area, making him less ambitious than Dr. Doofenshmirtz. I was going to make a comment. Yeah, if you didn't make a comment about Dr. Doofenshmirtz, I I was going to. It's like, wow, before Dr. Doofenshmirtz. (laughs) Norb asks, why not the world? Which Dag agrees. That's better. As he lowers Norb into a vat of chemicals. And Norbert wants to know where El Grappador is, and Dag grabs a lever only to remove it and reveal a button underneath it that opens the door with LG and others having their wrestling talent drained into Muerto, a.k.a. Death, a Frankenstein's monster-esque creation that's missing a thigh, has a foot for a left hand, a chicken foot, and his face is attached upside down. It's yeah, that's uh, Daggett's craftsmanship, all right. Yes, definitely a design. <laughs> Dag staples the missing thigh back into place. SWN. Good enough. Yeah. So Norbert is being lowered into the vat of chemicals, and he shouts a goodbye to El Grappadura as Dag presses more buttons, including one that's just a toddler's squeaky toy. I, I, I like the Norbert's uh, questionable trans- questionable Spanish with questionable translation of goodbye, Mr. Chip, uh, my big friend. <laughs> And as El Grappadura struggles, it turns out a loose hair making him sneeze is all it takes to break him free and reverse a good chunk of what's going on. It's a, it was a hell of a sneeze. Mm-hmm. But Daggett still has enough to bring Muerto to life, who promptly is launched into the chemical vat upon the very first move he tries upon El Grappadura. However, as chemicals tend to do... Throwing him into chemicals makes him giant. Yeah. Super death. Yeah, this all occurs as Daggett is being arrested in the name of justice and the wrestler's code. Wow, I've never heard of an arrest in kayfabe before. I didn't know that's a thing wrestlers could do. Oh, there was a very notorious wrestler's court in WWE. This is true, which uh, Undertaker was often the head of, from my understanding. Yeah. And considering that was mostly a means of bullying wrestlers into compliance, this does not reflect well on Mr. Calloway. It was a different time. Yeah, one not too far in the past. Unfortunately. Anyhow, the now Superberto dispatches El Grappadura and Norbert, and then promptly turns on the gloating Daggett. As Frankenstein creatures tend to do. Yeah, this is why they're generally insurance risks, folks. Granted, if someone put in my face upside down when they brought me life, yeah, I'd probably be angry at them, too. I mean, can you imagine trying to eat like that? Yeah, imagine if you spill something right into your eyes, man! Ooh, I don't even want to imagine drinking coffee with that kind of a face. So Daggett is begging El Grappadura to help, promising eternal servitude. And when he asks Norbert his opinion, he he just says, eh, what the bad place below. 
<laughs> so while Grappadura insists they settle it in the ring. Where the beavers are both cheering Grappadura. But when he's locked in a vice-like bear hug, the beavers reveal the other side of their signs to read, The end is near. <laughs> they were pretty well prepared. Yeah. Now the match is a back-and-forth affair, with Super Muerto getting puked on, and El Grappadura getting tied up in the ropes, but Norb and Daggett tag in, and they launch off the ropes and only embed themselves in Super Muerto's back. I I do want to point out that there was a brief, very brief scene um, where they're, uh, after uh, Grappadora got thrown into the audience of cardboard cutouts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Where uh, Daggett is uh, dressed as a cheerleader for like yep. an entire scene, or entire just not a scene, but entire just shot. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, shot. I think he found that where he found the mushroom. Because <laughs> as soon as they get to the next shot, he's back to normal. Right. The trio managed to eventually undo the stitching, keeping Super Muerto together via a convoluted. Series of events that's far funnier seen than described. Yep. But I'll just say he made very good use of the uh, beavers. <laughs> and as the trio celebrate their victory, a still conscious Super Muerto realizes he can't itch his butt, but he can still feel the itch. But he also has no regrets. Nope. So, now for our postscript. And this one's. A little sadder than most, because the team behind this show and Nickelodeon management didn't always see eye to eye. From what I read, they were constantly butting heads on some rather weird things, to be honest. Mm -hmm. While things like making weapons comically large so as not to seem too violent were one thing, other matters just seemed to be Nickelodeon being oddly petulant. And the most notorious example is one Pemmy already alluded to earlier in, in the podcast, where they were censoring the words shut up in the episode Alley Oops. Yeah, seemingly because they didn't want kids to say shut up. Yeah. This was accredited to Nickelodeon's president at the time, Herb Scannell, thinking if kids didn't hear it on TV, they wouldn't say it. So the offending word gets a censor bleep. Now, if you've watched any of the YouTube videos about X character being censored, you know that the mere presence of that beep makes things sound far dirtier. Yeah. I don't think it did them any favors, to be honest. Yeah, they had to remove the gag altogether when that bleep caused an even bigger stir than simply saying shut up would have earned them. It's also worth mentioning that Herb became president of Nickelodeon in 1996, well after he would have had any say over the majority of the uh, wild content of some preceding Nicktoons. Zim. (laughs) Yeah. Or Rocco, for that matter. Well, this show predates Rocco, though, doesn't it? No, no, this was post-Rocco. Well, right, right, right. That's what I meant. So, never mind. I I got confused. Okay. But on a similar note, as the show was winding down in 2001, Mitch and his team's plans for a final episode, Bye Bye Beavers, was nixed by Nickelodeon for referencing its own cancellation and being very critical of some of Nick's practices, including the aforementioned Shut Up incident. 
yeah, it seems to be a rule that Nickelodeon has that they can't like have a final episode because they want to be able to rerun the episodes forever. Sadly, it was also an inadvertent case of art imitating life. When production of this show ended, Gunther Wall closed up shop for good. They did. Uh, there is a release though of the audio for that episode. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I actually know more about that than the actual show itself. Is I've read and heard about the uh, audio and heard a clip from said audio of that final recording. Which seemingly it ends by them saying April Fools, but mm. <laughs> which could have worked for them, but whatever. Yeah. So the Angry Beavers were certainly popular, but the butting heads with executives meant that it wasn't a network favorite. And it certainly didn't help that two years later was the debut of that big yellow cultural monolith in brown pants. If there was any time I wish I could do the Spongebob laugh, now would be it, but I cannot do that laugh. Me neither. But as such, home video releases wouldn't start happening until 2010, with Amazon partnering with Nickelodeon to do print-on-demand discs. Shout Factory entered the picture the following year, releasing the complete series over the next few years, making the show reasonably easy to get a hold of. You can also find select episodes on iTunes, and the Beavers still pop up in reruns on various Nick and affiliated networks. One of the other things I read, which I'm going to mention this because this is kind of why I uh, pointed out the Daggett cross-dressing scene, was supposedly they were also told not to do cross-dressing at one point because they were afraid of sexually confusing children. Ugh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. It's like... <laughs> Which I should find funny because it's like Bugs Bunny's been doing this crap for like ages, man. Yeah. But, so, Pemmy, this being your first experience with Norbin Dag, what did you think? Pretty good. I feel like uh, these are definitely good episodes. I actually enjoyed them. I'm not sure how much I do or don't like the show. Well, I like the show. I'll say that. But uh, if I was to, like, rate it, I don't know exactly where. I feel like I want to see more episodes before mm. I give a solid opinion. But, yeah, I definitely like it. Um, it's definitely good. I think the only reason I didn't watch it is it came out during a time when I just didn't have cable. Mm, fair. But we'll be revisiting them probably next year when, when we get around to Halloween because their episode, The Day the Earth Got Really Screwed Up, is arguably one of the most popular and loved. Wait a minute, they can't say shut up, but they actually managed to say screwed up? Believe it or not. I am actually honest to God surprised by that. <laughs> but no, yeah, I liked it. I definitely want to see more of it. It like It's been one of those shows that I've kind of been wanting to watch because I've heard a lot of people say they liked it, and I just never got around to it for one reason or another. But like I said, most of it had to do with when it aired. I'm pretty sure it was during a time that I didn't have cable, so it just never happen but we're gonna leave it at that let's go restock the breakfast cereal and hope they don't mix sawdust in it oof see ya the penny and james to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast the preceding podcast is a co-production of the mighty monkey corporation and artificial orange studios the theme song is written composed and performed by sean michael smith